For May 9th, 2011, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 149. Hammer time! Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the left coast of America, I'm your host, Matthew Rather, here with the panel of overthinkers and, as has become a happy custom in recent weeks, special guest uh, to overthink summer movies 2011. That's right. We have gotten well past the, uh, the point where we summer movied up to in the last summer movie podcast. And the summer movie podcasts are some of the best summer movie podcasts all summer movie podcast. So the... <laughs> oh, he's just trapped in a loop. Someone unplug him. <laughs> yeah. Reboot I'm the host. I can't do that, Dave. <laughs> Reboot the host. So here, sitting in Los Angeles with a fine... You know, Trader Joe's, I've discovered, uh, sells a fine box of, of wine. It's, uh, it's a cube. It, no, it's not a cube. It's a, uh, it's a rectangular prism. It's a rectangular prism. Yes. Yes. So the, the Target boxed wine out here comes in, in a cube, but it's no damn good. The Trader Joe's boxed wine, the Australian be, Syrah that Trader be, Joe's be, sells in a box, is a rectangular you, prism and is quite fine. You'll be happy with any uh, parallel pipette that that distributes wine, though. <laughs> uh, all right. It is Mother's Day as we record this, though it's the day after as um, uh, as you listen to it. So we hope you did uh, something uh, good for your mother or remembered her well, um, wherever she may be. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we are going to ask a, um, a Mother's Day related question. What would your mother rather you be doing? Uh, than this podcast. <laughs> um, right. So, first in the alphabet, it is uh, Peter Fenzel. He returns to the podcast. Hello, Pete. Hey, how's it going, guys? How's it going? Pretty good. It's good to have you back. Awesome. So, um, I actually, I, I did some stuff that my mom would be very happy with today, which was that I went to my sister's uh, crew tournament. So I got to see one of my sister's row crew. So I, I was sort of doing my familial civic duty today. And it was a fun time, definitely. But my, my mother always said to me that whatever I do, uh, I just, I just, all she wants me to do is do my best. Right. So I guess uh, what she would want me to do is a podcast where I do my best. Uh, as opposed to this podcast, wah, wah. no, that was okay. nobody. La- nobody laughed at that. No, um, yeah, no, we she, were she, all she, too. She want- we were all too stung by the by the stench oh, of truth really? in what you said. So cold, <laughs> so cold. I think what she would say is that like she would want me to not phone it in, uh, and I guess I am phoning it in later, literally. So I suppose that what she would say <laughs> is that rather than doing the podcast as I'm doing it with you now over a Skype conversation, she would prefer that I had all of you over at my house. And I think she thinks she would prefer this because she thinks that I'm too lonely too much in my house. So I should invite all you guys over and we should record it with like a big sort of honking 50s microphone uh, in my living room. And then we should all make a very healthy meal that has uh, mostly um, vegetables in it. And, 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 and find it delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I think it would be like a, a sort of real life experience that was equivalent to this, but which involved a hundred percent effort and good camaraderie. And that's what I will say about my mom's values and what she wants for her children. Excellent. Uh, next in the alphabet, he's back. <laughs> the lead dun, has come dun, back dun, to the podcast. Dun, 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 dun. What? You didn't let me say. Finally. <laughs> Lee has come back to the podcast. 
You had to steal my thunder, didn't you? Sorry. Oh, thunder. Thunder. Foreshadowing. We're going to talk about Thor. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> The movie was so mediocre, but also awesome to talk about. <laughs> I would say, I would say that, like, that segue was better than the movie, wasn't it? <laughs> Thunder. Do you remember the, um, the uh, Hasidic uh, uh, sort of Jamaican dance hall uh, singer Matis Yahoo? Uh, remember, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blinky, Blinky and I went to camp with him. He's like the Orthodox <laughs> Jew is Jay-Z. Yeah, no, he, but he didn't discover Orthodoxy until after we knew him as Matt Miller, um, stoner who loved tie-dye. I'm totally <laughs> serious here. I, yeah, 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 definitely. Like, you know, I, I know what he looks like clean-shaven. Uh, wow. And it is, it, it is more terrifying than you could possibly believe. So um, he uh, in in the first single that that got national attention of his, he was he was constantly singing thunder, thunder. That's how he would punctuate his. Uh, uh, his lyrics with the word thunder sung thunder you know anyway so I think of that whenever uh-huh. I think of the word okay. thunder well don't worry there'll be plenty of time to talk that about that was neither other... funny nor interesting I just you know thought I'd don't say worry. it this... there'll be plenty of time to talk well, about wine. very meteorological phenomena associated with thunder and lightning later um, but for now I'm going to answer the question uh, my mother instead of me having doing this podcast would prefer that I be listening to a podcast either approved by or released by uh, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, she being a very faithful and religious woman. Um, I did, however, go to church today, which I haven't done in several weeks because, wait for it, wait for it, including on Easter, because I was in Korea, which I wasn't on the podcast. Yay! Yes, that's, I mean, and, that's why, and that's why you're back. It's not that you were neglectful of the listeners. It's just that you were off on... Uh... On retreat, and you can see. Right, right. Unlike the, uh, what, the, the these effing teenagers podcast, uh, I don't try to alienate and confound my audience. Though, have you heard? There's been some very interesting character developments with Ryan Sheely on the <laughs> these effing teenagers podcast. I have noticed, and <laughs> frankly, I'm kind of disappointed. Where actually he is, he has become a consumer of podcasts on his daily train commute. Uh, uh, you know, under the Charles River. And so now now that he's actually become a, a podcast audience member himself of various different podcasts, mostly public radio, um, he, he actually wants to make a good product now. And yeah, and has really sold out. I really like the early stuff, the experimental noise collective stuff, but the These Effing Teenagers podcast, uh, everything they do now is just so corporate. I know, totally. All right, let me just like give a brief uh, tidbit about pop culture in Korea, uh, which is where I was visiting my uh, visiting uh, my parents who are there temporarily and a bunch of relatives. Um, just one quick comment on the pop culture there. Uh, for our listeners, may or may not realize that so the Korean pop. Uh, soap opera is a very uh, much a very important part of their pop culture output. It's released. I mean, they, it's very much a um, a staple of uh, of you know t- television watching, not just in Korea but also in other Asian countries. Um, interesting to note that these soap operas tend to be extremely melodramatic and sort of very much by the numbers um, in terms of you know just. You know, it's it's a drama. It's a late night drama, basically, right? Um, I'm pretty sure that nothing like an Arrested Development or Always Sunny in Philadelphia exists in Korea, where either the characters are all very unlikable or they express a very high level of uh, sort of um, a self awareness of the fact that they are in a television show. Um, which I'm not quite sure what that means, uh, what that says about Korean culture. You know, sort of they, have, they don't have quite the same capacity for irony. That us sophisticated Americans do, you know. Actually, I'd say, having witnessed a lot of Turkish television as well, I'd say that the the particular flavor of irony that's so popular in like the American, you know, like the you know, television and sitcoms of the last say decade or so, um, 
is is a rare thing to find outside of the states or outside of you know sort of Britain and the states. I mean, this is probably a topic for a whole other, other podcast. Basically, like you know, is our pop culture so advanced that we get that we produce things like Arrested <laughs> Development and Thirty Rock? I mean, have we just uh, have we just entered the decadent phase of empire? You know, yeah, what but, I mean? but, but, yeah, but exactly. Mark, but Mark, Korea has StarCraft on television. How can you say that we're more advanced than them when they have StarCraft on TV? Yes, but it's unironic. Time. It's StarCraft is on television unironically. Well, yeah, because if you As play StarCraft ironically, you get Zerg rushed. The Zerg do not bring iron. Like, this will destroy you. Like, you'll be infested. Like, that's what they, you know what the Zerg do to hipsters, Mark? What do they they do infest hipsters? them, and then they run them suicidally into siege tank lines. That's what they do. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing about Korean pop culture. Uh, but, uh, Pete is probably more familiar with than I am. I did not uh, get to play any StarCraft while I was there. I did not not get the chance to learn from any of the Grandmasters. That's, like, that's like going during to Italy channel- not getting gelato, Mark. That's, that's ridiculous. Anyway, sorry. Well, while, while channel surfing through the, like, the 40 channels of drama, Korean soap operas, um, I did stumble across the two or three that were showing live StarCraft on television. So. Wait, wait, the two, or three, the two or three soap operas that were showing live StarCraft? <laughs> was it like a soap opera about StarCraft? Because that would be amazing. There should be, man. That would be awesome. Please tell me you that. ate... Oh, the television shows uh, about it. Like, while you were there, though, you ate um, an octopus-based dessert, though. No. Um, I did not. I'm sorry. God. I'm, I'm breaking your heart. I know. Um, last man. thing about my, uh, my Korea vacation, which I know you all came to the podcast to, uh, to hear about. You know, because this is the podcast that projects my vacationing to a level of scrutiny you probably doesn't deserve. <laughs> um, I did uh, post a lot of pictures, and I'm sort of still continuing to post pictures on my personal blog, goes to twelve dot com, and plug uh, and my contribution to the intro. Mark, when when will the arms race end of what the dial goes to? You know, I may as well register goes to thirteen dot com. In that case, I, I, I think it goes to 14.com. Yeah, I mean, did you uh, have you registered all domains, you know, uh, up to, I don't know, 99 or 100? Uh, hold on a second. Networksolutions.com. <laughs> Main purchase credit card number. Done. Okay. Yes, I have. Excellent. Matt, Matt I, thought, I thought you were crazy for having me squat on goes to 85.com back in 1998. No, now Mark is going to do it. But, but I, it's now just long con. I realize what you're into, and it's genius. I want. I wanted to buy rather.com, uh, you know, five or six, seven or eight years ago when I started going on a domain buying spree and bought like MatthewRather.com and, and stuff. Um, and I have rather.net and org, but rather.com, you'll you'll notice if you look at it that rather is uh, one character away from weather. Dot com, the E and the R are right <laughs> next to them. So it's owned, it's squatted on by some sort of domain speculator who has some sort of spam site up there having to do with weather or, you know, something, something like that. And I, I probably have no hope. I don't know. Does anyone there in the audience know um, anything about, you know, wrenching domains away or what I could expect to pay for something like that that is my last name legitimately, but also a misspelling of a popular word. I imagine I probably should have a friend of mine approach the owner and not me myself because I'm, I'm too easy to take for a ride, right? Because uh, that's what she said. The, um, <laughs> uh, I'm too easy to take for a ride because my name is obviously rather. I obviously want the domain for a very specific reason and, you know, don't have a lot of recourse. I can't change my name, you know. So, uh, so um, 
you know, they probably could really gouge me. But I don't know, Pete would like if Pete Fenzel wrote them and was like, "Hey, I'm interested in buying the domain rather.com." Uh you know, yeah. uh, what I, I, uh, I used to have my maiden name was Amazon with an M at the end, and that was that was really <laughs> hey, uh, Mr. Amazon is now known as Mr. David Checkner. Welcome to the podcast. Tell us about your mother. Well, actually, I believe it's pronounced Dr. Schechner. Oh, sorry, uh, Dr. Schechner. <laughs> and and you, d- you don't want me to tell you about my mom. First of all, you've witnessed my mom firsthand, I've uh, seen, it, I've seen her in action in, in all of her glory. <laughs> Uh, she is, you know, to the podcast listeners at home. Um, first, I hope you're sitting. I hope you're sitting down, because uh, because what you're about to hear is about you know Janet Schechner, who's basically like if you had George Costanza's mom and like um, Kyle Boslowski's mom from South Park, and you just sort of like smash them together into some high speed accelerator, and the sort of radioactive, gloopy Jewish mama that came out of it sat down for about a solid week and ate nothing but donuts and takeout Chinese, you'd have my mom. Um, <laughs> Who is who I love. Ha- Happy Mother's Day, Mamala. I, lo- I love you. Yeah, so the thing uh, my mom would, would rather that I be doing um, rather than being on this podcast or pretty much anything else at all is making her grandchildren. <laughs> be it in a lab or biologically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I've told her, like, right? look, you give me about 75 bucks in an hour and a half to, like, skirt over to Chinatown in Boston. She could have a grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's easily done. So yeah, no, it's 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 gotten to the point where like she um, she still tries to pretend that she's joking about it, but it's so obvious that that she's being completely earnest with me. It's like, hi mom, how you doing? Oh, I I don't, yeah, I'm okay, except that I don't have grandkids. Long awkward pause. I, I'm I'm just kidding about the the grandkids that I don't have that you should be making for me. What are you doing on the phone with me now? So anyway. Uh, I mean, mom it's, only, it's only, mom, it's only my upper body that's on the phone. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, well, what? Shit, I've been doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, oh, I think it's me now before we get to special guest. I, um, uh, my mother would rather I be getting a PhD right now. Because Ooh, you want to, uh, you want to switch. <laughs> because I think I, grad school was one of the happiest times of her life, save the blessed event of having her two sons. Um, but uh, you know, I think she had a great deal of fun in grad school, and she always wanted me to uh, to go to grad school. And indeed, I I did go to grad school, but you know, uh, not so as you'd notice, right? Like, um, <laughs> you know, I'm get, <laughs> I'm in the middle of getting an MFA, which is like the television of graduate degrees. And I, uh, you know, it's like the GED of PhDs. And that, exactly. <laughs> that even if she were, uh, even if she were, um, uh, even if it were in English, uh, English literature or something like that, I, uh, I, I think she'd be, <laughs> she'd prefer that I, uh, I be doing that than, than nearly anything else. Um, and that I be, which, and that I be Dr. Rather. Uh, like she which, was. which actually, Brief, which does beckon a story about what my mom thinks about what you're doing, right? <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> I, I I'm not sure I want to I want to talk to that uh, talk yeah. about that on on the podcast. But uh, there no, I no. was <laughs> one time in New Haven, and I walked into a uh, I walked into a diner, and Dave happened to be sitting there with his mother uh, having uh, having dinner in this diner, and I you know sat down, uh, and they they beckoned me over and and asked me to join their table, which was very gracious of them and uh janet Schechner asks asked what i was studying and this, this this i think was the first time that she had met you right 
Yes. Th- yeah. I th- no, I, think I had never. Like, I, like, I don't know if you. You. T- I don't know why you would have t- told her about your friend Matt from. Uh, you know, from the college marching band, but uh, maybe you did. Well, you, you had um, you had really embarrassing hair, so I'm pretty sure you came <laughs> up at some point. I had um, really, I had really awesome hair, but like, <laughs> like, like Icarus, I flew too far too fast on the hair. I grew, I grew it too long too fast, and so now that yeah. now that I'm 30, it's all falling out. Also, also like Icarus, uh, you thought your hair could help you defeat the Minotaur, and you were wrong. <laughs> um, so. Uh, so I sit down and uh, uh, Mrs. Schechner asks me what I'm majoring in. And I explain that I'm an English <laughs> literature major, uh, concentrating in the devotional poetry of, a, uh, of, um, of the late 14th century. And she's... Yeah, uh, and, and like, I, I know in my mom's mind, it's as though Matt had just like looked up to her and stared her in the eye and said, I am wasting uh, several hundred thousand dollars for tuition, Mrs. Schechner. I'm, I'm actually lighting it on fire and having sex with the burning pile. I'm flushing it down the toilet in one dollar right. in one dollar bills, forty or fifty thousand oh, of them. Oh at God! A time. No, no, the sewage system can't take that. And she said, uh, she asked me, "What are you gonna do with it?" And I said, "Well, you know, I I wasn't." sure about uh career but i really enjoyed it and uh, i you know i'm sort of going to be a better person for knowing it and she and she looked at me as though i was from mars uh, and as though all this this talk of you know being a better person for um having studied something you know uh was craziness um she said uh <laughs> she said she whipped a 20 dollar bill out of her um yeah, <laughs> out of her purse and r- folded it in half, held it between her fingers and crinkled it right under my yeah. nose, sticking her hand right on into my face. And she said, she, she, "Yeah, she but managed to, yeah, she made the finger gesture people use when they refer to money." Uh, without having a bill between their fingers, but she had the bill there anyway. She had it, she and she like stuck rubbing, it. Yeah, yeah. She stuck it right in my face, under my nose, <laughs> and she went crinkle, crinkle, crinkle with the dollar with the twenty under my nose, and she said, "Yeah, but what are you gonna do for this?" Yeah, uh-huh. that's that's my mamala. <laughs> to be fair, though, I, you know, Jews will often rub like money underneath each no- uh, each other's noses, like if you're asleep and they need to wake you up. That's the way we get. <laughs> God, people, oh. we are so far off the mission statement of this podcast right now. Speaking of flagrant wastes of money, shall we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if they uh, if they rub ten dollars uh, under your nose, they expect you to give uh, them eleven dollars the next day. It's called usury. People, look it up. Hey, yeah. we have a yeah. special guest <laughs> on the <laughs> And Antonio to bear. You guys are all going to be in trouble when the mighty Thor gets here, okay? Because he's going to mediocre all over this place. In truth, I know not why I am so sad. It wearies me. You say it wearies you. Um, the, little Shakespeare for you. Grad school. Um, so we have a special guest. Uh, Chris Morgan is a writer for Examiner.com and a guest writer on Overthinking It. And uh, I believe, Chris, that you have a film studies background. Is that... Is that true? That is correct. And Chris, uh, Chris is on the. I, I don't know if you've done the, um, if you've run the, you know, biathlon of reading every article on overthinking it and listening to every, um, uh, uh, to every podcast episode. But you did, uh, you did bug me a whole hell of a lot. And every week, you sent me an email, 
in the form of an Alanis Morissette song uh, <laughs> asking whether you could join the conversation on the podcast sometime, especially to talk about uh, film with your film studies background. And it was the um, it was the one that you said, I'm here to remind you that you said I could come on the podcast sometime. That was the one I think that sold me on the uh, on the <laughs> So here we are to talk about the thing. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Chris. Um, well, good start. Uh, I guess first, yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm still. Uh, as people can probably tell, I'm, I'm coming from a, a room filled with noise, and so I'm a, a little, uh, I don't know, reticent of, of my talking to start with. But um, uh, I guess say uh, I'm much like uh, Matthew. Rather, I'm. Uh, living out in uh, Los Angeles on uh, what I like to call the bleeding edge of America. And um, I, uh, I moved out here to uh, try and uh, write for television, something I wanted to do for a few years. And then after uh, I ended up being unable to get uh, funding to continue my grad school education, I figured uh, it's a good time as any to come out here. And uh, for now, while I'm trying to do that, I've I do a lot of writing to make money. Like uh, you said, I write for what's they call Examiner. I do a lot of um, sports writing. uh, And uh, that's basically what I do and almost entirely who I am. And uh, and and also for a little website called overthinking.com where you've written a bunch of um, you've written a bunch of articles. Well, tell us about breaking in. Tell us about breaking into the TV game. I mean, do you have a you know do you have a strategy? Are you trying to get? The, I mean, eventually you want to get staffed on a television show, I guess. But are you you know uh, trying to find employment as a, a writer's room assistant or something like that? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to take um, any avenue I can get. But uh, it's a, a shocking thing about the industry is that if you have no context within the industry it's kind of hard to get anywhere but um actually uh through overthinking it uh through an article i i wrote i actually ended up getting in to contact with a uh somebody who actually writes out here for television he's written for shows like uh frazier and uh beefs and butthead because uh, clearly he has been on both sides of the spectrum of uh, comedy. Say, it's just the same episode, right? I mean, it's literally the same, it was the same thing. Yeah. Uh, he just, uh, Beavis became Frasier and then uh, Butthead became Niles and nobody could tell the difference. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. the, the, the dog was uh, Daria. I think Daria, Daria started on Beavis and Butthead, right? Horn Holyo! I want TP for my bunghole! <laughs> but, yeah, Sorry, so that's... through running uh, for overthinking <laughs> it, I actually uh, Uncanny. <laughs> Uh, running for overthinking, I actually uh, started. I started talking to the guy, and uh, I mean, the only tangible thing I, I got out of the uh, sort of relationship with him so far is a uh, free green tea and a free uh, carrot cake square. But I mean, that's something. That's so. That's the extent of how uh, far I've gotten in the uh, business so far is that I've gotten uh, free food from a person. Well, that's that's uh, that's a lot more than a lot of people get. So you should count yourself lucky there. Uh, For Chris, what would your um, what would your mother rather you be doing than this thing that you're doing right now? <laughs> uh, well, my mom, fortunately, has never been somebody to uh, really try and uh, push things onto me. And you know, I mean, she was more than happy that I decided to come out here to uh, LA to try and follow my uh, dream of writing for TV. But I think implied in that, though never spoken, is that she uh, also wanted me to not fail horribly at following my dreams. And uh, 
so far, I have not been able to uh, you know, succeed in uh, stopping that from being the case. There's still time left, so uh, there'll be plenty of time for uh, disappointment to build in my mom to a point where perhaps it even becomes uh, something spoken other than implied. But uh, other than yeah, there's, that, there's, you know, you've got a whole lot of living left to do. There's, there's plenty of time for you to disappoint your parents yet. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, every time you think you've lost that opportunity, you know, oh, time yeah. just comes right around again and yeah. gives you another. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the you know, yeah. and then um, yeah, exactly, and eventually, you know, once parents pass on, and and you, so you have a memory of them that you can disappoint, yeah, which is great. you know, often a projection of your own self-loathing, so that you can. This is uh, this is actually this is the core sentiment behind my theory that Batman is Jewish. Right, is that he's forever, forever ruled by the guilt imparted to him by his parents when he was young. Right. Yeah. Well, but he's also rich. We're, we're good to have you, you and your film studies uh, background here, <laughs> Chris. He rubs money under a lot of noses. Uh, here, good God, we're, y'all. We're, what is this good for? If, if we say it, we're taking it back. Wait, Rather's not Jewish. I was I was named an honorary Jew by the the by the uh, you know never mind um, my love of of bagel mit schmear uh, and you know locks uh, and my propensity for eating it open faced anyway so Chris we're Speaking glad of locks yeah we're glad you and your flowing locks we're glad you and your uh, uh, film studies background are here because we are going to tackle uh, summer movies now that we've wasted the. <laughs> Now that we've wasted half the episode on inside baseball that nobody cares about. So I believe that when we got I warned it, you guys. I warned you. But did you listen to your mother? No, you didn't listen to your mother. Anyway, let's, um, let's keep so it we got. So I believe that last time uh, it is today as we record this podcast, it is uh, what, May uh, 8th. And uh, mm-hmm. last time, it's it's funny because last time we got to April eighth, so we are a month behind in summer movie preview stuff. Um, so uh, Arthur Surfer and Your Highness were the last movies that we uh, spoke about when we were on the uh, when we were on the the podcast. So uh, uh, the following weekend came out Rio. Scream for the conspirator, about which many things may be said, but we're not going to say them. Uh, the following weekend, uh, Medea's Big Happy Family and Water for Elephants, ditto. Uh, the following weekend, Friday, April 29th, um, Fast Five and Disney's Prom. Uh, Ooh. Uh, wow. Yes, I saw Fast Five, and I have some things I want to say about Fast Five, but I have a feeling that uh, more might wish to be said. <laughs> there was a there was a uh, artful use of the passive voice uh, about the following Friday, this past Friday's <laughs> <laughs> film. Um, Friday, May sixth, saw the opening of Jumping the Broom. Uh, and something borrowed the Kate Hudson, Jennifer Goodwin rom-com and, and, uh, Thor, which I know. <laughs> so which one of these, <laughs> so which, which one of these oh, things? We're trying to say that you want to talk more about Thor. I, I want to talk, I want to talk about, I want to talk about fast five, but, um, but uh, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand the reins over to you guys because you saw Thor and Pete. You are fresh from seeing Thor. Like you rolled right yeah. out of the thing and onto the uh, and onto the podcast, didn't you? 
Yeah, the F-14 Tomcat just hit that, that wire, that catch wire, and I jumped out of it and immediately onto Skype so that I could podcast with you guys. Um, so, yeah, so Thor. So Thor is a lot like uh, that um, Tom Jane Punisher movie. In that, like, you take a superhero and then you have him hang out while not doing superhero things with a bunch of random people for, like, an hour and a half. And then you bookend it with him doing superhero-ish things. But let me, let me pitch you the, what most of Thor the movie is. And maybe you'll agree. Mark also saw this. Maybe Mark will agree. Mark, maybe Mark won't. So, so Natalie Portman is an, a terrible astrophysicist. Who, she's a better astrophysicist than uh, Denise Richards was a nuclear physicist, though. But no, no, she's like, you're like actually setting the bar pretty low there. She's not like a sexy astrophysicist. She's like just an astrophysicist, and she's terrible at it because she like doesn't follow regular laboratory procedure, like uh, procedures. She well, she did. She, I mean, she did get her education at Harvard. Zing! Whoa! <laughs> hey, her, her like. Her graduate school advisor thinks that her work is like really subpar, and she's kind of crazy. And she drives out in the middle of the desert to observe um, some aurora with a naked eye. Um, and cool. uh, Not an astrophysical phenomenon. Awesome. Uh, uh, in her car. And so she brings the homeless man home with her, or she brings him to the hospital first, but then she brings him home with her. And he's totally crazy. But it turns out that he's really sexually attractive. And Natalie Portman has to figure out what to do with this homeless guy. Actually, who, like, <laughs> Pete, Pete, in, in her defense, um, a, like, a guy in clothing he's been wearing for like you know months on end with a giant shaggy beard talking nonsense. If you've been in academia long enough, particularly the physical sciences, that guy could be your thesis advisor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you, have, you have no idea. Um, so it's, it could just be like the, you know, the milieu that she's used to. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I don't know, Mark. Did you? Because, because, like, I was one of the things I was really thinking about with this movie is that, like, Natalie Portman is in this movie, and there's, I feel like there's no movie with this character in it that I would want to watch, except for maybe the movie. Like, the one thing she does in the movie that is interesting is when she's like, "Oh, this crazy guy is pretty hot. Maybe I'll keep him around for no reason," you know, like, uh, like, like that sort of thing. But like, otherwise, well, is this is this the Catwomaning of Natalie Portman? Is this what this is? <laughs> Oh, no, not by far. No, I mean, I, I would see her in, uh, in a PBS Nova documentary, you know, just describing various astrological phenomena. I would watch that. But she no, thinks she's- like, I see where you're sort of like, you know, uh, railing on this point here. But I think there are a lot of other things to criticize the movie about. And p- frankly, a lot of things to, to praise the movie about as well, too. Like, uh, I'll be honest. Like, I thought that, like, OK, this is my attitude going into Thor is like, it's a Norse god in a kind of superhero movie and he comes to earth what is this bull honky this sounds ridiculous and they actually like somewhat successfully you know like you know bridge that suspension of disbelief bridged if you've seen the movie you'll get that um and you know it has some (laughs) sort of plausible way of like constructing some pseudoscience and giving it some level of uh, what's the word verisimilitude Yes, and uh, ah. and you know, making it making it plausible to sort of our you know non hocus pocus uh, world in which in which we live. So I'll give it some credit yeah. for that. Um, but yeah. the word we were using earlier to describe Thor, and this I think is the real overriding sentiment of it, is mediocre. Right, right. It just it's like by paint by the numbers. It's phoned in. It was like not unenjoyable. Like I didn't find myself rolling my eyes in it like a, like I did in the last uh, sort of big movie I saw, which I think was Tron. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I was always like, I sat there. It's like, okay, that happened. What was yeah. that about? That was about I mean, yeah. that was about uh, about homeless people in the desert, I guess. <laughs> as a, as someone who hasn't seen the film but has seen the trailers for it, it, it seemed to me that um, you know what's going on here is that like 
you know, Marvel Studios wants to um, wants everybody to enroll next semester in a course called the Avengers movie. But in order, <laughs> in order to qualify that cor- for that course, there's some required summer reading you have to do beforehand, yeah. and that's you know Thor and the Captain America movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, prerequisites for yeah. that course. I mean, Mark is totally right in that the movie's greatest achievement is that it it makes a formulaic movie about the character of Thor plausible. <laughs> Like it makes the it makes the like formulaic movie work, but but that but I want to also talk more about damning it or praising it. Like like what is the movie actually doing, right? Like because this is the thing that I kept asking myself because because the movie I, I didn't connect with this movie on really any level at all, right? Like and 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 I want to sort of raise that as an interesting an interesting question, right? It's like and it's I like, agree with that totally. By the way, yeah yeah this movie this movie because uh, so movies are often um, I'll, I'll again fall back on some sort of Brechtian lexicon and say that that uh, entertainments are often what he would refer to as culinary and that they sort of feed an emotional need, right? Like you want to see a movie in which the good guy wins at the end or which which society is affirmed or which like there's an emotional story about a family and there's suffering and tragedy, something that makes you feel a certain way that you need to feel and it sort of feeds this emotional hunger, which is is how uh, Brecht characterizes a lot of melodrama and he he doesn't like that kind of performance art, right? Um, and then there's the kind that's like epic, as he refers to it, and is is more intellectual, and is about sort of like explaining how people work and getting people to think and like getting people to question things that they think are true, and and more importantly, like the intellectual side of it. It's like this is a, a story that's trying to engage your mind, and get you to think about something, right? And the movie doesn't affect you, but doesn't affect me emotionally at all, because I mean, characters are totally unrelated to one another. Like like what does Idris Elba's character of Heimdall do in this movie? Like he does a bunch of unrelated things, uh, and, and and even even then, like even if you take away the kind of uh, uh, the paradig- paradigmatic screenwriting uh, classes that tell you these are the things you would need to do to get these characters to affect you. I will step back from that for a moment and say these characters didn't affect me, right? They don't affect you emotionally. Well, does it work intellectually in terms of ideas? Not really. Like, it's really confusing. Um, and, but again, I don't want to just damn it. It's like, well, it's, it doesn't seem to be going in that direction. It's not trying to make a point. Like, like it's, it's, it's trying to sort of establish this character of Thor. Okay, so is it sort of like a more of a kind of like, uh, I mean, Kenneth Branagh directed it. Is it trying to take a, a page from Shakespeare and like create Thor as a human being, right? Like sort of like show the different aspects of his perspective on the world, show some of his interior decision-making and monologue and, and, and like and show the way his, that And some of his uh, interior crocodile alligator. Exactly. Some of his interior crocodile <laughs> alligator, I drive a Chevrolet movie theater. Um, and I guess it does a little bit of that. Like the best scene in the movie, I thought, was the, the, the ending, um, which is strange because usually the endings are huge shit shows in movies like this. But uh, the ending of the movie where like he and, 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 and I don't want to spoil too much, but him and the, and the villain sort of confront each other and have a conversation. And I'm like, oh, like these characters have a relationship. <laughs> like, oh, OK. Like I can sort of see how this situation is kind of complicated. Uh, whereas like that complexity was totally missing from the whole beginning of the movie but there does seem to be like a point at the end of the movie where thor kind of realizes who thor is but like i still don't understand why that's something that we're supposed to care about um and from an aristotelian standpoint thor's biggest thor commits like the biggest sin of aristotelian plotting which is that it sort of promises to kill somebody and then doesn't follow through with it Right, and and it it promises to do something. It has this sort of like foreshadowing towards this inevitability, and then it reverses course, uh, and it yeah. does this in a bunch of different ways. Um, which, is, which is something that like both Aristotle and your mom would frown upon, right? <laughs> this is true. This is very right, like true. don't don't phone it in if you're gonna commit yeah, to kill someone. <laughs> You know, yeah. go do it. Well, like, like he, yeah, Aristotle hates the moment in Antigone where Haemon is about to kill himself and then decides not to because he's like, this is not dramatically interesting and this is in go um, large or you go home. 
Yeah, well, because so, the catharsis is about completing these actions. Yeah. And in Thor, we this happens in two big ways. One is that Anthony Hopkins' character, like, you know, there's certain points at which and it's fairly early in the movie where like it looks like he's going to die, but instead he goes into sort of like Doctor Who kind of sleep regeneration. Like it's kind of like this weird. He calls it Odin sleep, and he's in Odin sleep, like suspended animation for most of the movie. But it seems like early in the movie's going to die, and he doesn't. Um, and that's a weird thing because it seems like he needs to die to propel the movie forward. And I mean, stuff does happen to him later, which. I'm not going to get into that, but like early on, it looks like he's going to die. The other thing is that like Thor starts out as awesome, right? Like Thor comes on screen and he's great and you love him and he's great. He's shooting the thunderbolts and he's hitting people with the hammer. And then they're like, Thor, you need to be taught a lesson. And they take away all his power and they send him to earth. And then at the end, it's like, okay, like what? Like, and then Thor comes back at the end and he's like a, a wiser, stronger Thor. And it's like, like, I don't need to see Thor become less like Thor. Like I liked Thor. It's <laughs> I liked of, Thor the way he was. And, and furthermore, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say it's kind of crazy. So one thing I was going to ask you, Pete, because uh, I get the sense that you're probably better versed in the original North mythology than I am, which yeah. is to say, not at all. But um, anthropologically, you know, the, the concept of the like Prometheus character is like one of the central recurring tropes in all of you know, human or certainly um, European storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the sort of the god who. Uh, somehow offends the rest of the council of the gods in his uh, in his willingness to sort of transition between the ethereal angelic realm and the human realm. Right. You know, it, it's the Prometheus story, it's the Jesus story, uh, it's the Elvis story. You know, and it's the reason why everybody thinks that Elvis will be coming back, whereas a lot of other dead famous heroes don't get that same retelling. Right. So, so you know, the the original Norse god. Um, back in mythology, you know, is he seen as a Promethean character? Is, is he someone who's supposed to bridge the gap between God and human? Or, or did Marvel Comics just think it would be really awesome to have a guy with wings and his helmet and a hammer? I mean, I don't think so. I, I really, not with Thor. Thor is a force of nature. Like, Thor is the thunderbolt, right? That's, that's um, kind of what I got it, yeah, what I got the sense of. But. Yeah, I mean, Thor is like a, a momentous, phenomenal badass in North Norse mythology. And I, I don't generally think of him as the person who like is supposed to bridge the gap between humanity and the divine um i mean I'm, there are times when he sticks up for people i think but like i can think of any number of other characters who are more kind of self-sacrificial or kind of like more promethean or christ-like in the way that they're described so yeah it, i mean this this thor character he, when he shows up he bears a certain resemblance to the norse mythological thor he's like this really hyped up badass who does a bunch of really violent stuff because he it's important to do it and he needs to do it um and maybe he has poor judgment but like at the same time he's surrounded by people with worse judgment so it's hard to to like get on his case too much for it um and but in this movie he like needs to become mature and become like a king which which doesn't that's not really that's not really what happens like and 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 I mean, Thor, you know, Thor like, goes, engages, is supposed to engage in single combat with Jormagunth, right? And like the, the, the Midgard serpent. And like they're supposed to kill each other, right? And he's the serpent to... of time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, the, the point is that, that Thor, the, the movie Thor definitely draw, doesn't draw from the story of Thor. It draws from like more classic kind of Promethean stories about mythology um, and also from the Thomas Jane Punisher movie. With Rebecca, <laughs> where it's like, so hey, Punisher it, has it, wacky neighbors. Let's see Punisher go to a diner. Let's see Thor go to a diner. What happens? You know what happens when Thor goes to a diner? He drinks a cup of coffee, smashes the coffee cup on the ground. It's like that was excellent, uh, and it's really funny. But uh, that was a good moment. Yes, it so, was a good so, moment. So, Pete, I want to loop back to what you mentioned earlier, which I think is a really important part of why this movie doesn't exactly succeed, uh, which is that sort of uh, you, you know you, don't, you cannot really relate to this movie. 
Mm. Uh, in, a, in a big way. You don't really emotionally attach to any of the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because A, because Thor is uh, a Norse god slash, I don't know, alien being from another planet. We need to talk about the metaphysics and the pseudoscience slash religi- religiosity of the movie later. But for mm-hmm. now, let's talk about the, the relatability of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can't relate to Thor, right? Because he's yeah. freaking Thor, all right? Mm-hmm. And you don't really, you're rooting for, really care much about the, the human characters in the movie. Yeah. They're really just accessories. And what you mentioned earlier uh, really sort of reminded me of, like, the ending of the movie. And they're left just looking up at the sky, being like, uh, okay, that happened. I hope yeah. it's back, right? Yeah. Like, how ineffectual is that? Like, all the action happened somewhere else. These folks, uh, I, what did they, they, you know, they helped him, sure, you know, uh, get Stella's groove back, mm-hmm. slash, you know, in the groove, this case being a hammer. Um, but that's it, right? Yeah. You know, you know, think, you know I, I, I would like, uh, this is one of those instances where we would like to have a woman on the podcast, right? Well, uh, you, most instances, but anyway. Um, you know, it's like, what woman would relate to the Natalie yeah. character? Right. Yep. Okay. So, so take that. Right. And think about you know the stock example of the superhero that we're supposed to relate to is of course Spider Man. Right. And I don't know if it's unfair to compare Thor to Spider Man, but Spider Man is still an excellent example in that. Right. You know he's extremely relatable to. He represents our insecurities, and he is our, uh, our our way of you know fantasizing about escaping those with something else. Right. He's so highly relatable, and that's why Spider Man is uh, one of the most, if not the most popular superhero character so i guess I mean, I'm gonna, it, the question i'm asking is kind of like is it fair to compare thor to, to spider-man and do all superheroes that need to be spider-man or like the you know the x-men right who are the other good yeah. example of this who are outsiders and different and you know yet they have these special things yeah i mean the, the the superhero that this movie can get mapped onto most closely is that it's a lot like a um justice league unlimited superman plot or like huh. a Justice League Superman plot. Because you have Thor, who is a phenomenal badass and could solve any of these problems in like 10 seconds if he were just given the wherewithal to do so. Because uh, all you would do is he would hit the bad guy with a hammer and it would be over. So you can't have that because that would be silly because there would be nothing that you could throw at him that would be meaningful. So you have to take away his power. So there's like a lot of plots in the Justice League show where Superman needs to do something, right? And there's a big problem that only Superman can fix. But then Superman gets taken out of commission. He gets like sent to another dimension or he like gets his powers taken away or or he's given something else he's preoccupied with or there's some sort of personal reason why he can't get involved and then the other minor characters have to deal with this being this in this this sort of like they think of themselves as effective they think of themselves as influential powerful people like i'm a brilliant scientist natalie portman like and then there's like titus pullo as like another random uh norse god which was kind of funny uh and like there's like there's like you know badass woman Norse god like they're all going to deal with the problem unfortunately this is a Thor scale problem and they're not really equipped to deal with it and that's like how the plot moves forward in these Justice League episodes too where it's like the question is trying to stop like dark side Right, and it's like the question doesn't really have what's necessary to stop Darkseid. It's like, oh, I think Darkseid might be connected to this giant death. Yeah, that's right. Unless, unless, unless Darkseid is like weak against, uh, you know, bulletin boards with like lengths of string tacked to it. Exactly, and that's exactly what the heroes in Thor are, are are facing. If you make a Thor, if you that that's the sort of paradigmatic superhero story that Thor is, and then what happens is like through the power of love, everything is fixed or whatever. And like, um, again, like I, I know that we try not to give too many spoilers in the podcast. I feel like none of this is really spoiler. 
spoiling the movie that much because I'm not really telling you what happens. But um, but but basically, like you know, Thor does come around, you know, and that's not a surprise, right? And and uh, and at the end, like the the dark side problem is solved not by the question, but by Superman. But the question can sort of pat himself on the back because he was the one who like helped figure out how Superman could get back from the other dimension or something like that, you know. Like so, that's the kind of paradigmatic story. Like Thor, and I was thinking the exact thing, same thing you were talking about uh, while I was watching the movie because I'm, I'm I'm analyzing it and thinking Thor is too weird to be the character you're supposed to identify with. He's not the Luke yeah. Skywalker in this movie. No. Like Thor, Thor in this movie is like the like. Um, Gosh, I mean, I'm trying to think of like the analogous Star Wars character, even, and he's he's even weirder than the Star Wars characters because he speaks with this highfalutin uh, mannerisms and like the, you know this and that. Um, I guess he's the Admiral Akbar of, of, so he, of, of the Star Wars. Universe, okay, right? well, yeah. if, if you've ever seen him with subtitles, he's clearly Chewbacca. <laughs> but like, yeah, but Natalie Portman, High Court Wookiee that she was speaking. <laughs> but if the Natalie Portman character were played by a man, she'd be played by like Shia LaBeouf, and he would be the character that you would identify with. And I'm like, oh, they're going to make. And, and one of the, the problems with movies is that there's this preconceived notion that this everyman character has to be a dude, and that's who the audience is going to identify with. And if you make it a woman, then the audience won't identify with the character, and the plot will fail. And I was thinking, and that's like a, 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 a sort of that's sort of like the the devil's bargain that's behind a lot of like misogynistic screenwriting done by men or by women. It's like I have to make the character a man because women on screen are falling into these certain types, and I can't write them well enough for the audience to identify with them. And, and I'm thinking, well, this is a brave move because you're taking that risk and you're putting Natalie Portman out there as the character that we're supposed to identify with. But she's so strange. Like, she's just, she just isn't relatable. And the fact that she would, like, fall for this guy, she, it's, it's a pretty big mark that the, whoever wrote her wasn't really thinking in terms of, like, uh, I mean, maybe a woman would identify with the situation because he's really that hot, right? Maybe that's the part that I'm missing. Like, uh, maybe because he's like, I mean, he's in pretty good shape. He's you know, strapping young lad and all that. But it's like I don't really believe that she would do the things that she does in this movie, um, like at all. Like, like, and she doesn't seem to have the interior life that would make that necessary. And, and it's like, is the is the problem the character? Is the problem the performance? I don't think the problem's the performance. But like, if you were to make that scientist character into an every person who could actually drive the movie forward, rather than this character who stars in this other movie that's sort of like the Fisher King but with a six pack, um, you know, like, like uh, so, so like, if you were making a movie, what would you make her like? And I'm like, well, I probably wouldn't make her a scientist. Like, I'd probably make her like a little. I'd probably make her like a stargazer. Right, like I'd probably make her a little bit more relatable, rather than like a crazy quantum, like a crazy not quantum, a crazy like astrophysicist. You know, I'd make her like somebody who's like a musician, a folk singer, on a like who likes to go out to the desert and like sees shit. And like this friend of hers who's a scientist is like, "You're crazy," but she's like, "No, I got. I think this is cool." And then this is not because you need to make her dumber, but this is because you need to make her more relatable, right? And, well, and it's, it's yeah, it's hard you, to you need to be able to you need to be able to convincingly write the character. Yeah, I mean, I love astrophysicists. I have a lot of astrophysicists who are friends of mine, but the times when we sit down oh, sure. and we hang out and talk... All, all anti-astrophysicist racists say exactly that, Pete. No. <laughs> no Look up my buddy Nopi at the University of Arizona. He'll, he'll talk to you about this stuff. Um, a lot of astrophysicists, it's not unheard of for astrophysicists to improv comedy because they got to do something to stop yeah, thinking about true. the vast emptiness of the universe. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, your, but, like... Your friend, by the way, told me, he's like, yeah, I'm actually a condensed matter physicist, but we all look the same to Pete. Fair, fair enough, fair but at any rate, uh, when we get together and hang out, we don't talk about like astrological phenomena. You know, like that's not the only thing. He's like, let me explain to you everything I do in my life right now, and that's all I'm going to talk about for 90 minutes. Um, <laughs> so anyway, anyway. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm being very rude because I'm talking about a movie that only Mark and I have seen. Um, 
Yeah, but I you're mean, talking, I mean, you're talking about it to an audience, many of whom who have seen it. You know, we're not here to entertain this, ourselves. This will I mean, surely be the number one movie at the box office this weekend. Yeah, if for no other reason, because it opened on the most screens, it got, you know, wasn't crapped on in reviews, yeah. and it, it's it has Natalie Portman, which is enough Ooh. to draw a lot of people in. Another interesting, I wanted to mention this. I definitely wanted to mention this because this is a filmic craft thing. I saw Thor in IMAX 3D because that was the only showing that fit my schedule before the podcast, um, and between the crew meet and the podcast. Here's the moral of the story: If you're doing 3D that does lateral polarization. Right, where you have like the two lenses in your eye, in your glasses, and you're sort of seeing the left and the right eye differently. Don't shoot in Dutch angles. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yes. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Because this, 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 this is like uh, not everyone. Not everyone knows what a Dutch angle is. Explain that. Okay, so so a Dutch angle is uh, it's like the Adam West Batman angle, where you like shoot it at a diagonal, right? And it's like whoa, whoa, crazy. Uh, and they're yeah, sort of a, meant a, to. It's a slightly yeah. overhead, or oh, I guess there's like a high Dutch angle, or it's a canted frame. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's are, a canted frame. It's usually slightly overhead. Um, and are, the are issue the Dutch, are the Dutch responsible for any of the things that in English bear their names? <laughs> right, like the Pennsylvania Dutch are German. Uh, yeah. Going Dutch, like, is is that a thing that they want to be known for? You know, it's <laughs> like, yeah, oven. we're cheating Dutch, Dutch oven. oven. Have, right? you ever, have, have, you, have you received many a Dutch oven? You know, yeah. Like, I, a, they were, oh, they got it. They were very good at jump roping, which is why Double Dutch is named after Double them. Dutch. <laughs> There you go. There you go. No, yep. more generally, Pete, the 3D itself, like mm-hmm. at, at this point, I'm I'm pretty comfortable in saying like I'm so over 3D. Mm. Like I like I know what? we like try to be nuanced and everything like that on the Overthinking It podcast, but no, forget the nuance. I'm so over 3D. It's not. Well, let me really substantive to the movie watching experience. It was just kind of. Let me let me let me go back and explain this because this is actually an interesting thing, which is that if you shoot the frame frame diagonally, you wouldn't think that you do it, but your head tilts sort of a little bit sometimes to follow it, or at the very least your eye focus tilts, right? So your head tilts to try to follow the diagonal shot. And as soon as your head falls out of that axis, the 3D effect goes away. So there's a lot of, and this is, this is the kind of thing where Mark jumped on it right away, because I think anybody who watches this movie is going to notice this, where like every time there's a 3D shot that jumps into a Dutch angle, jumps into that diagonal, the 3D effect dissolves and it goes away and it becomes like a blur. And it's like a really interesting, because it's like, I would put that in my one-on-one handbook for shooting 3D movies from now on. It's like, don't use that angle. It's and funny. I mean, what well, a, but, but a Dutch angle, like a canted frame is supposed to represent what, like, uh, psychological uneasiness or, you know what I mean? You know, like something is not right. The, the like, the, the canonical ham-fisted use of it that I, that I can think of is um, uh, doubt, right? When, like, mm-hmm. oh, things are going all askew here with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Meryl Streep. Things are askew, so the frame is askew. And it was just terrible. Uh, it was terrible cine- cinematography. I mean, it was directed by the playwright, which is always a terrible idea. So the... Um, it's, a, I, I just, it's also used in um, uh, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing in, mm-hmm. the, uh, in the part where they have the, uh, the, the big riot at Sal's Pizzeria. Uh, if you, that's it, a an example of it that used a little more nuance than uh, in the movie Doubt. So, I guess yeah, people have seen old Batman's or Doubt, but uh, yeah, I was about to say it, it's a all, it's, a, it's a staple of the uh, the old Twilight Zone as well. You know, the the, the yeah. point where the characters realize that that something in their universe is askew. You know, their entire universe is askew. Yeah. Well, that that sequence in Do the Right Thing is so good. Just so the the way that the action sort of rises and the and the pacing and sense of urgency associated with it is as it's really it's a really nice scene definitely that's uh and it's not in three d which also helps um 
But yeah, I did, and also they use it really heavily in the scenes where they go to um, the land of the Frost Giants, where they go to uh, Josenheim. And so, and not only that, but there's a lot of like diagonal set design. Like there's a lot of like things. I guess they're, they're computer. I mean, but, like, to be clear though, like this this would not be a problem if it's in the the flicker shutter style 3D, right? If you've got the timed LED glasses that are flickering um, counterpuntally to the way that the screen flickers right and left. This would One be would think it, it, it's it's just when you have like the the circular polarized glasses that this is going to yeah. be a problem. I th- that's what I would wager. I'd have to test it to make sure because I'm not sure whether it's I don't know whether the effect is originating in like the sort of parallaxing that your brain is doing or whether it's something that's happening to uh, the light that's going through the glasses. But um, I think it's probably it probably would not would, it probably would work better with the LED stuff. Yeah. Um, one, one other thing I want to say about 3D is that um, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I wear glasses all the time. Um, and you know, I have sometimes thought, oh, I should put contact lenses in before I go see this ridiculous 3D movie. But I forgot. Yeah, nerd. Yes, I know. Um, maybe it's just me. Like the glasses, uh, you know, like put the 3D, uh, the 3D glasses a little bit further away from my eyes and then sort of like, you know, makes it not work right. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I don't wear glasses. Could be just that. So I will grant that one little bit of nuance. Uh, to to my criticism of 3D in Thor, well, just the 3D in general outside of the movie Avatar, which is the only really notable uh, use of 3D that I've seen in the theater. Um, so anyway, uh, there's one other thing I, I want, really want to talk about, which I alluded to earlier, which is the theme or the lack of the theme of religion in this movie. Mm. Right? Yeah. So so the background on this, for those of you who haven't seen this or aren't familiar with Marvel's way of dealing with uh, Thor and the fact that he's a Norse god, and now here here he is. Uh, on planet earth um is that well he's not really a norse god he's basically uh you know a corporeal being that lives on another planet right and he basically travels through a wormhole to to come to earth does that sound about right pete yeah yeah pretty much right and um and you know the and and you know the one of the lines that thor actually says is something to the effect of like what you call magic we call science on my world and you know and and madeline portman at one point says that what is uh, magic. Magic is science that we don't understand yet. And I think we've actually talked about these similar themes on the podcast before, and we could go in that direction, but I want to sort of, you know, keep it focused on religion. Uh, I was insofar as a point, like, so that's how they, they, they explain this away. It's that, you know, it's not that he's a god, basically, right? He's right. just a being from another planet, and everything could be explained by science. Yay! We don't have to deal with the uncomfortable aspects of religion around this, right? So, so let me, let me, let me, let me, let me put it this way. So, so are, are you, are you, are you trying to sort of like interpret authorial intent in that? Or, or are you saying that, well, uh, like when you say that, you know, um, by, by imbuing Thor with that quality, um, so, it's, it saves the, the marketing team, like the uncomfortable bit of like having to deal with some religious groups being offended by I the depiction of so-called gods. But I don't know if that, I don't know sort of like, you know, like uh, how that compares to the Marvel canon. With Thor, did they use the same you know explanation for that? And then you had to go back and ask, well, the folks who were writing the Marvel comic, did they do this sort of the same thing so they didn't alienate religious audiences? Um, so that would require us a little, a little bit more background. But and so far, we can at least sort of you know evaluate how religion is or is not used in this movie and think about. Well, so my complaint basically is that sort of it, was, it felt like a missed opportunity. It's like you could have actually said some really interesting things about religion um, mm-hmm. and explored that. So let me focus specific on the Norse actually. So actually, one of the interesting things about the movie is that, you know, with, uh, like it cuts back to like, you know, uh, you know, Iceland, I guess, you know, in the 10th century. And there's a title card that basically says that. And, you know, and the idea is that in the Norse were visited upon by um, these 
these uh, these guys, you know, Thor and Odin and all, all these folks. And um, they came from another planet wow. via a wormhole, and they thought that they were gods. So wait, wait, right. wait, they, t- they turned this into, like, Skarsgate? Yeah, pretty much. It's, uh, <laughs> there you go. Good night, everybody. So, <laughs> so what I'm getting at here is that, you know, so that's how they explain away, you know, these, you know, this ridiculous, you know, these, these tall tales, basically, the Norse had told about themselves. So at that point, then, so it, it raises a bunch of interesting questions, which is that, you know, why is it that these uh, beings from Is uh, Asgard, why is it these beings, from, I thought to say Isengard, wrong uh, <laughs> why is it these beings from Asgard only chose to reveal themselves to uh, the you know the Nordic people, right? Mm. Or maybe they reveal themselves to other people around the world, and then that explains all other world religions, including Jesus, mm. right? He traveled through through a wormhole from Asgard, perhaps. Right? I mean, I That's think a it's really interesting thing to explore, and yet goes nowhere else because it's not really logical that you know the Asgardians would have only visited this tiny patch of northern Europe where it's also really freaking cold. I don't know. I mean, in the movie, they only st- visit this tiny patch of the southwestern United States, and they visit it over and over again. Uh, <laughs> which, by the way, is another reason yeah. why the movie is not very relatable because it's, yeah. it's in a setting which, like, none of like very few people in the United States at least live in. I was gonna say, like, if you if you create an interdimensional wormhole off of the purpose of of going to a planet, and you show up, and the thing you see is Iceland. Like, maybe you're not that inclined to go exploring. <laughs> you know, maybe well, you're like, you know, let's just go home. Let's go bowling, dude. I mean, I think one of the things that's in the movie that is also in the stories is that the Norse gods aren't really all that concerned with humanity or what humanity is doing. Um, the Norse gods aren't really even all that concerned with Earth, right? Like, they're primarily concerned with the end of the world, which is going to come from sources that have nothing to do with what humanity is doing, right? Like, so the only reason the Norse is that, gods... Is that like, dealt with a movie, or is that doing more sort of... So this is the North. Well, the, the, I'm, 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 I'm spreading it out a little bit, but in the stories, uh, I don't. I mean, they they visit Earth sometimes, but like there isn't a ton of stuff that happens on Earth that's very relevant to what the Norse gods are dealing with when they travel back and forth to the the good lands of the giants, and they try to get the head of Mimir, and like there's Loki is doing the nonsense, and there's the ravens, and I mean, yeah, there's stuff that involves people, but the primary primary reason why the Norse interact with people, why the gods interact with people at all, is to like bring up warriors and recruit them so they can use them to fight the demons that are coming, right? Um, and in that case, it's, it's like, okay, they only recruited among Vikings. <laughs> like, that's not really all that hard to believe. Uh, and in fact, like, there's also you know, no indication that Valkyrie could go anywhere, I guess. There are no Valkyrie in this movie because there's no Valkyrie because they leave out that part of the uh, that stuff in the Marvel stuff too. But yeah, like the Norse gods, it's not like, you know, I, I never really, I, I, don't, I never really, maybe, I don't know whether this is accurate in terms of how their worship was conducted, but at least how they exist in the culture, it's very different than how the Greco-Roman gods exist in the culture today. Because I think that at some point in the 19th century in particular, the Norse gods were, were thought of, were, were sort of trans, transposed in this like highly symbolic um, kind of like modern way of looking at like ancient poetics, right? Like through like, you know, opera and philosophy, and that a lot of that, you know, comes to its final fruition in Nazism, right? And this idea of like, um, you know, the master race and this kind of like uh, heroism and the and the triumph of the will, more literally, which is sort of exemplified in the way that the Norse gods deal with the knowledge of their demise and and, and all this other stuff. So, so I, I think that, um, and of course, I'm making a bunch of leaps there, but uh, 
But the, the main takeaway is that, like, the Norse gods and the Norse stories, as I understood them, they never really are like, oh, let's go to the temple of Thor and pray to him so that everything's going to be okay because Thor is going to help us. You know, it's more like we should be scared of Thor because Thor is the god of the lightning, and lightning is unpredictable and powerful and has its own agenda. And, like, and, and you know, thus we should, like, live in fear yeah, of it, Thor and tell I, stories of him. It, 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 from a religious standpoint, it makes them more of sort of an animist culture, right, where, you know, the, the gods uh, represent elements which are well beyond human control. Yeah. And all you can yeah. really help for, hope for is their compassion, yeah. as opposed to the sort of Greco-Roman tradition, which, you know, is sort of imbued with more hubris. And it's like, oh, you know, we can, we can maybe sway the gods into doing what we want yeah. them to. Yeah. In all of the arguments that I read online um, between people who are like ardent theists and ardent atheists, the one that always kind of I always and I, I try not to get involved in them because they're not there's nothing really to be gained from getting involved in these arguments because a lot of them are not very rigorous. But uh, the one that always gets to me is it's like the people who try to prove that God is not benevolent and therefore can't exist, and it's like there's a lot of religions out there where God gods are not the kind of people that you want to f with, you know, like or you know it's kind of people is is you know it's like there's a lot of see also you know, Africa. <laughs> exactly. It's like there's a lot yeah, of different that, ways that people conceive of, you know, these sort of supernatural forces and beings where like benevolence is not a requirement and caring about you is not a requirement, right? And like they can still be gods and they can still like you can still be in a shanty, you know, and like and be subject to avalanches. My, my favorite example of this is the traditional Madagascar religion, where mm-hmm. where there is no god, but you're looked upon by the spirits of your dead ancestors. Mm-hmm. And um, and they're there with you all the time. And so before uh, anthropologists really learned how to like pleasantly converse with the people of Madagascar, what they thought was that they were like an extremely happy people, despite the fact that they lived in these really squalid conditions, because mm-hmm. they felt the presence of their ancestors with them all the time. Because they're always like smiling and talking really highly of you know these dead ancestors that were with them all the time. Mm-hmm. And then um, once they got enough funding to spend enough time there to get really well versed in their language, this is you know about a hundred year leap, um, realized that everyone. Everyone was just constantly uh, playing on their best behavior, uh, like all the time, putting on the big smiley face so that they don't kill you again, uh, (laughs) kill your baby again. And people like really, really hated their ancestors. When someone when someone would die, like they're you know they'd all be sitting around like their bedside as they're about to pass, begging them not to be such a dick. Um, And the 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 burial rites are like, well, grandma was great, but now she's probably going to torture us. (laughs) So. So there you so, go, yes. people. So I think that's the answer. I think that that um that I wasn't too disturbed by the lack of involvement that the Asgardians had in humans. And they even sort of mention it in passing, being like, well, if we ever need to go to Earth, we can just make a lightning bolt and they'll worship as gods. Great. Like, and they sort of mentioned it as if it's like something that you would only do if you wanted to waste time or try something that didn't work. And, and, and uh, I, I mean, it's one of the characters whose names isn't important, of which there are many in this movie. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so they definitely are kind of dismissive of this whole role of gods, gods that they have. And I think that in the Marvel comics, you read it and you, it's not, it's just not that level of seriousness to it it's it's really not like oh man like this is an object of reverence here like he's a dude with a winged hat who like whacks things with a hammer and flies around like thor is pretty silly i mean yes sometimes it's serious and i want to say there's never been a good thor comic book but like i think i've I've always found the general depiction of thor in the marvel comic books to be one of whimsy um you know when and like that's why thor goes to space a lot and and crazy things happen and ego the living planet and all this other nonsense um but anyway uh, and that, that's, you know, that, that, as they say, is, is, is that, um, 
it'll be interesting to see Thor and the other Avengers because you know it is kind of a knife gunfight situation because I I can I, I can't really <laughs> imagine Captain America and Thor like being on parity for solving pretty much any problem because like, Captain America is still is sort of a fairly mortal dude. He's, Sorry. He's, Fast. Peter, I, I thought for a second, I, did, yeah, I didn't parse it correctly. I thought that maybe in the movie there were knife guns. I was like, <laughs> oh, damn, they're just delving into the Final Fantasy universe right yeah. <laughs> So can we, can we like, quote odds right now on the chances of somebody in the Avengers movie making a joke like, oh, here's Thor bringing a hammer to a gunfight. I'll take the under on that. I don't think they'll yeah. make that joke, but I think there will be joke. He does say hammer time in this movie, I believe. Wait, does he really? Oh. Uh, no, no, he says hammer, hammer, and then someone says, yeah, you're hammered. That's right, he doesn't say hammer. I was about to say, if he said hammer time, that would have been... Shaq says that in Steel, which is a great superhero movie. <laughs> a great superhero movie. Ooh, ooh. As far so, as superhero movies go, that one is great because it has Richard Roundtree saying the line, well, dip me in shit and roll me in breadcrumbs, which is a great line um, said by Shaq. That Shaq is one bad mother. Shut your mouth. Yeah, I'm talking about Jeff, baby. Um, you know what? I stand by my original statement. So one last, one last closing thought. And that, uh, speaking of, since we brought up the subject of music and musicians, ostensibly through the reference to Hammer Time, um, is that the movie really missed an opportunity to uh, use the song If I Had a Hammer. Like, so there's this like, kind of okay Foo Fighter song which rolls with the credits. But like, how awesome would it have been if, if there was like a heavy metal... like. If I had a hammer, chicka chicka chicka, I tell you what I do, chicka chicka chicka, I'd hammer in the morning, chicka chicka chicka, all over this world, chicka chicka chicka. I don't think Hollywood is comfortable with protest songs, Mark. That's a heavily, that's an iconoclastic song about uh, socialist values, I believe. Uh, right or like, don't love does he does he hammer for Jesus? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, aren't there's you hammering for the Lord? Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I'm yeah. hammering for the Lord. That's yeah, true. <laughs> well, do you want a hammer for the Lord? <laughs> if so, email us at podcastedoverthinkingit.com or call 203-285-6401. Call or text 203-285-6401. Uh, if you want to talk about this episode, join the comments. I, I never got to talk about Fast Five. I, I wanted to talk about because it takes place in, in uh, Rio de Janeiro, but it's it's an entirely Rio de Janeiro is entirely a backdrop uh, of picturesque poverty uh, when viewed from like a helicopter shot uh, of which there are many, many in this film. Uh, Rio is entirely uh, a canvas uh, on which the Americans can paint and sort of solve their problems because the the major conflict in the movie is between Vin Diesel and The Rock, uh, The Rock playing a federal agent who's been, um, you know, uh, who's been, uh, you know, assigned to bring Vin Diesel, uh, escaped fugitive convict Vin Diesel home and to justice. Uh, there is a plot uh, with... Um, uh, you know, with a local sort of drug dealing businessman who is exploiting the um, who is exploiting the uh, local poor uh, in ways that are not exactly identified, but uh, really the function of Rio is just to be a place that that the Americans can beat up, and there is a a, a pretty decent car chase at the end. But uh, I, I I don't know. I want to talk about it more. Maybe next. Wait a minute. Time. It, it, that, like, this, this movie is a Fast and the Furious movie, and the best praise you have for it is. 
there was a pretty decent car chase at the end. That is the best. Well, praise I, yeah. yeah, that's the best Actually, praise I, I have I, for it. I thought his high praise was when he said, "There is a plot." <laughs> I thought the, be- the the best praise he had for it was when he mentioned Vin Diesel was in it, which is pretty high praise as far as I'm concerned for any film. Vin Diesel He's a box actually, office gold. Well, I mean, you you actually kind of described like I'd say sixty percent of all A Team episodes. <laughs> like there's kind of picturesque poverty. The local guy is doing something bad to the other locals for reasons I, that aren't I really explained. Th- Look, I was thinking, okay, I'm sorry. I guess I did kind of, you know, uh, my occult purpose in bringing it up was to hijack the podcast so I could talk about the thing that I've been wanting to talk about for the last hour while I've been listening to you guys. But the, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) but, um, you know, okay. Hey, Pete, what did you think of that? Oh, sorry, go on. (laughs) What did you think about the part in Thor when they, uh, but um, look, see I, the movie that we talk about in the emails before the podcast. You can participate in the conversation, <laughs> and it's true. I did, I did bring it up in the emails, yeah. so I have no one but my, I blame him myself, as uh, you know, they say in every mafia movie. Um, what I was, I was put in mind of the A Team a lot uh, while watching it, and uh, it, Fast Five did not compare favorably to the A Team, which was my underrated movie pick of the year uh, for. For last year, Fast Five will not be my underrated movie pick of this year. I think, Vin, but the, you know, and what it had, you know what, you know what the A Team had, and you're gonna laugh when I say this, but the A Team had acting, right? It is, <laughs> it is intentionally not, or well, no, I, it is not easy to deliver those ham-fisted action movie one-liners. Uh, it's not easy. And, like, it actually may take a Liam Neeson caliber of actor to do it in a way that is um, actually enjoyable, right? Yeah. And, uh, and it just didn't... And, like, uh, you know, whatever his virtues... And by virtues, I mean, like, uh, you know extremely large upper body like uh you know i don't know from the from the tits up the rock has the mass of 10 men you know and uh <laughs> and so, so does vin diesel really it was it became like a tight t-shirt contest uh, uh the rock in a black under on <laughs> i know right um uh, remarkably on uh, remarkably little little female skin skin uh shown in this movie but uh just a, a rippling muscle extravaganza uh extremely i mean extremely greek in the ways that uh, you know extremely homosocial in the ways that Pete and I have talked about homosociality before on the podcast in the sense that like the the um the male body in its all its kind of uh, idealized kinetic glory is sort is something that's that's sort of glorified by this movie. Except that the male body in the movie is static. I mean, keep in mind that a lot of the action in this film takes place seated, you know, stationary uh, in space behind cars, and the machines are doing doing all the moving for you. Um, it's not like you know. Uh, a contest of discus throwing or something like that. And you just get the sense that, that those, those pecs and deltoids and biceps and lats and whatnot could not be moved very quickly that the, the, you know, uh, that people who are built this way are made for kind of lumbering around and not for, um, you know, not for, uh, uh what, I don't know, running quickly <laughs> to escape the bad guys. Anyway, um, 
Uh, but The Rock just doesn't, you know, say what you will about The Rock's virtues, and they are two, uh, and one is his left arm and the other is his right arm. Uh, they, they are no, no, no three. It's the, the one eyebrow yeah, no, he, he raises. Yeah, the, the people's eyebrow. The people's eyebrow, right? <laughs> he's, he's got an extremely acute sense of smell, clearly, too, right? <laughs> Look, this, we're talking about the most electrifying man in sports entertainment here, so I'm just biting my tongue. That's well, true. <laughs> anyway, continue. Uh, he, uh, uh, his virtues are not uh, among his virtues. You know, is not numbered acting. So, um, so a lot of these, like a lot of these one-liners, sound ham-fisted. A lot, you know, I don't know. It just doesn't. But I, I, I was kind of. I mean, I don't know. On political grounds, I was kind of. I, against this movie once I realized what it would be about is that it was about a bunch of, you know, it's about a uh, a bunch of, I was about to say a bunch of white people. It's actually not a bunch of white people, but it's a bunch of, you know, Notre Americanos, right? Uh, They're not white people. It's a, it's a merry multi-ethnic band uh, of, um, you know, car thieves designed to appeal to a, uh, an international box office that is becoming increasingly important in the, um, you know, profit making of the, the Hollywood studios. Uh, but they're, they're gringos, you know, they're, they're Americans. Well, except for one, but, um, or two, or three. <laughs> <laughs> one is, one is Israeli, which is just a weird, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, but, um, so they but, take a multi-ethnic cast and they put an Israeli in it. They set the thing in Rio de Janeiro and you're still pissed off. Because it's it's too sort of like American America centric. It's about the it's about a uh, it's about Amer- an American fugitive versus an American law enforcement agent, but they just mm. happen to be in Rio, you know. Right, right, right. And and Rio just provides a sort of picturesque backdrop, wh- which is okay. I guess that's what James Bond, uh, that's what James Bond does. But um, uh, but when you kind of examine a little more closely, the 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 kind of po- the backdrop in James Bond is you know fantastic wealth and. Um, you know, unimaginable privilege. The uh, backdrop in Rio is the favelas is really kind of very terrible, uh, soul crushing poverty. Anyway, I'm sorry. I've extended the podcast. uh, Rio also has a giant statue of Jesus. There is. And there are many helicopter shots of the giant statue of Jesus. They go (laughs) over as as far as I've seen over the the, the whole reason they shot it. There's because it's where else can it's like, we need something significant. Brazil is a giant statue of Jesus. Soul. Yeah. If it's a movie about two arms, you can do worse. It's a movie about uh, the, like how big this fish was that Jesus once caught. The next thing is that uh, the movie has more religion in it than Thor, apparently. <laughs> there you go. This is very true. This is very true. <laughs> if, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's exactly like I feel like um, <laughs> I feel like Virgil. You know what I mean? Arms and the man I sing. Uh, <laughs> who came first from the uh, from the shores of Troy to um, and the man is <laughs> the man is Vin Diesel and the arms are the rocks. And uh, yeah. And um, but it's it's I don't know. It's it's. Uh, Politically, I don't know. It sort of made it made me uneasy, and the acting was not good. Alas. Anyway, sorry. Okay, so ends my so ends my rant. Uh, let me let me tell you, the statue of Jesus in Rio was deployed to better effect in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet, right? Uh, than it was in the thing <laughs> that we do in the helicopter. We do we fly around the statue of Jesus. We go over the statue of Jesus and tilt down to reveal like- the the landscape. We, I mean, the statue of Jesus figures 
heavily in the establishment. We see the statue of Jesus at night to establish that it's nighttime. We see it in the morning <laughs> to establish that a day has passed. You know, like uh, it's do, it's do, the play do think, for. Do you think, Matt, that like um, like Claire Danes and Jordana Brewster were like talking at a class at Yale at one point? And Jordan is like, I don't know, uh, like if I ever have a really crappy movie and we don't know where to set it, do you have any ideas? And Claire's like, yeah, yeah do that stuff down in Rio. It's super cheap. And they got this great Jesus statue. Yeah. I love, I love how it's like the main, every time you see that shot, um, the, the main message is like, this movie is not taking place in Vancouver where we filmed it. Like, <laughs> Suck it, X-Files. You know, it's, a, it's a really good thing that Jesus died for our sins and to give us awesome establishing shots. <laughs> well, do you want to give it? Unless it is the stock footage for it. If you want to die for our sins and give us establishing shots, no. I yes, mean, I think they actually. That. I think they actually did. Uh, I think they actually did shoot it in Rio because there are uh, there are sequences that that you know I don't know use the local. Uh, oh wow! Exteriors. Okay. That's, that's- yeah, yeah, no, it was not. I mean, the interiors, hey, the interiors may have been, but they jump from, you know, there are chases, sort of born style chases uh, from, you know, corrugated tin roof to corrugated tin roof uh, through the favelas, um, you know, crashing in through the, uh, uh, crashing in through the, um, you know, the <laughs> what ramshackle huts of these poor, impoverished people who live on the hillsides. Anyway, it, it was not, I, I kind of needed a shower after I. Um, is it- yeah, is it possible, Matt, that you thought you were going to see City of God and God just <laughs> That's why you're so upset? Well, do you want to see City of God instead of Fast Five? If so, email <laughs> us at podcastoverthinking.com or call 203-285-6401. Call or text. Join the conversation in the show notes on the site. Uh, thank you very much, Chris, for joining us on the, um, on the podcast. And, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, well. Yeah, thanks for coming by. Thanks for dropping by, and uh, until next week, visit us at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject popular culture to a level of scrutiny it It probably doesn't deserve. Samuel L. Jackson, and I'm here after the credits to tie this podcast into a more expensive podcast. <laughs> he should just show up in random movies. It should be like, hey, like uh, Jane Eyre, like I've got a special project. And like, slides <laughs> are in the middle of a folder. <laughs>